Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Otto Faber. And we are 35-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to bring you a handful of great stock ideas each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices so they'll never know. This week, we have five kick-ass stock ideas to talk about later in the show. Um, Otto's going to have a little market color on what went on last week as a longtime capital markets professional. And then I'll have a few comments about the economy. You know, we used to do a thing called walking through uh, economic trends. It's all online now, so I can't even walk through it anymore. So I'm just reading through it. And then we're going to talk about some stocks uh, we found in a screen, actually a Joel Greenblatt screen, picked a few names out of that. But before we get to that, a couple of important caveats that uh, my lawyer says we need to remind you about. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, Otto and I are professional Wall Street capital markets uh, analysts and uh, portfolio managers during the week. And that's we, not a guarantee either. That's None of this is. <laughs> none of this is a guarantee. Making this all up entirely. Um, but we typically do a lot of careful work, talk to management teams, read financial reports. We've been very careful to avoid any of that here on the show. I'm barely awake, and so is Otto, actually. And then finally, uh, we may not have your best interests in mind. We may do the opposite of what's best for you, probably will. And then um, what? Oh, yes, uh, we're heavily drinking, of course, as usual. Listeners know that. And as part of that, and Otto, I just learned this, Otto, you bring a kind of a unique skill to the value guys that we want to take advantage of uh, this week. Maybe you want to talk about that. Well, you know, I mean, it's something when we get together, we always like to enjoy uh, a couple bottles of wine. Enjoy, you know? yeah. yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you want to look at maybe, we thought it would be maybe a good idea to share maybe what we're drinking a little bit. Just give you a little bit, 30-second overview. They may want to join in. Yeah, you might want to, yeah. You, we maybe should pre-announce the bottle we're drinking so when you listen to the show, <laughs> you can drink the same wine and get in the absolutely. same state of Absolutely, just hit pause, yeah. head over to the liquor right. store, yeah. And so um, with that, um, we thought we'd go all over the gamut, get some stuff that's, you know, the under 20, and then we'll move around a little bit. So we'll give you a little bit of flavor of all different types of uh, price points. Uh, today, um, one of the things in wine, we're seeing some resurgence of some old names, um, old uh, types of wines, Merlot being one of those. If you remember, if you have any age to you, you would remember that Merlot used to be a fairly common wine, and it went out of favor. I think with bottle shock, it went you know very common. Uh, uh, it very went common. you know people kind of poo pooed it for a while. McDonald's and was serving it; it was terrible. <laughs> yes, it was <laughs> in uh, twelve, sixteen, and twenty ounce versions. Oh. Um, with uh, the uh, Merlot, it moved out of favor. It kind of, and so we're starting to see a little bit of a resurgence. But what's interesting now, if you're a cab drinker, which I am, you're starting to see Merlots with a little bit of a cab twist. And so introducing uh, tonight uh, Markham Merlot out of Markham Vineyards out of Napa Valley. This can be bought for under $20 a bottle. Awesome value. And it's a great value, I think. And it has a Cabernet, um, it's a blend, about 80%, um, 85% um, Merlot. And then 15% cap, which is a great blend. 
like I said, you can get it for under $20. You can't go wrong. You bring this to a party. Nobody's going to look at you like, you know, you're... So you'll you're come, you'll have grid. a great wine and a handful of great stock ideas. You'll yeah, be the hit of, of the, the party. party. Which is our goal. That's our goal. So with that, mm-hmm. let's just kick off and get to what we're all about. And that's uh, talking about the markets and... Uh, so, so, Otto, you know, you pay attention to the markets. I pay almost no attention. So, you know, I'm sure... Here's what I'll tell the listeners. The market was open last week, I'm pretty sure, and I bought a couple of stocks, but I don't know what happened at all. I really don't. Well, it was you. another uh, great week in the market, right? I mean, we've had uh, another uh, higher highs, basically, in some of these indexes. Um, but at the end of the week, you know, good news is bad news, and we've seen... Uh, some of the uh, call it news trends point to uh, let's call it uh, weaker retail sales. Um, inflation readings probably were a little bit softer. So overall, uh, the softer data uh, probably pushed the odds of a Fed hike uh, more muted. Now, I do believe the Fed is going to continue on their path to raise rates. So, but the market, as you know, moves on a daily basis. So with indication of maybe a soft you know with softer data things get all switched around and so the market took that as being hey more accommodative fed let's put this in full gear and move uh move full force ahead so that's what we had last week so it was another good week i mean all around i mean we've seen you know outside of the uh laggards that you know for for example energy and financials financials started reporting at the end of the week with the with the majors jp morgan city wells and although um had decent earnings there was a little bit of uh call it grayness in the earnings which pushed back the financials generally speaking so but i think you know when you look at this look at this and if you're a, like we bend towards value so we we look at out of favor and we need a hey. bell every time I every time I say that I should get you a do bell. a shot yeah. no <laughs> we should do that hence so, the name that's yeah. why your parents named you that they you were saying that all the time as a baby so we look directionally in it we look directionally in the other way so when you think of this show we're not going to be going in the same direction as everybody else we're trying to look for opportunities in the market and therefore so with that um, we're going to kick it off and kind of talk about some names and like I said in generally looking at some of the um, call it cross currents in the market and try to help you along and maybe get some idea of what to do with some of your money besides uh, and I'd like the listeners to help me along and tell me how to invest some of my money. I think it works both ways. This can't be a one-way street of we're giving them names. I think that we, you know, people could write in and give us names. To well, either say. way. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm good either way. Okay. I mean, it's fine either way. So, you know, when looking at this, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, energy still. Um, I would tell you, I mean, this is probably an area I would keep an eye on if I was an investor. Keep an eye on energy. We're not there yet. There's still a lot of uh, overhang on uh, supply and demand. And so with that, as um, supply keeps continuing to churn higher, um, concerns of where oil is going to pan out over the next couple of years keeps these stocks and uh, at, uh, you know, continuing to underperform. But you're getting to the point now where, you know, you've seen some great dividend plays. And so I, w- I would just... We're getting, you know, we're not quite there yet. Sentiment is negative, which we, you know, we always like in the value world. But um, you, we're gonna, we're gonna, you're gonna hear some names here over the uh, 
probably the next couple of months on some energy. But uh, with that, why don't we uh, kick it off with? Uh, you want me to kick it off, Otto? Or, or unless you have something else to talk about. Well, I just on this, t- I think you know, longtime listeners know we're a little bit contrarian. We're looking for good value. We measure that as cash flow yield a lot, just to keep it simple. There's a lot of Wall Street noise that overcomplicates what really could be uh, some simple approaches to picking great names. And uh, I think we try to bring a little of that here, in part because I pay almost no attention to what's happening day to day, and I think that might be a good, uh, a good habit to get into. But I was reading Barron's uh, yesterday. If there's one thing you have to read, it is Barron's. And I did note, to your point, Otto, that um, they had a section on some of the smart money that's starting to accumulate a little bit of stock in the oil patch, including uh, some recent positions that were taken by Harris Associates in Apache. And uh, I like that firm a lot. They're smart. And I think that could be a canary in the mine for when some of these names start to look a little better. Um, But what we did this week was, as you know, I like to run screens. And I ran a screen this week. It's a Joel Greenblatt screen. Um, a value screen, the little book that it's does like screens or it's something. Like he should Joel be like Greenblatt. a third baseman. Joel Greenblatt. Now, batting three thirty two coming up in second. Well, in the second slot. he may Joel only Greenblatt. be batting three thirty two recently. I don't know how oh, he's yeah. doing. Yeah, we I hope but he has these old screening, you know, rules approaches that are, I think, just very commonsensical. He looks at return on capital on one side and EBIT over enterprise value on the other side. One is a return on capital, and one is the cash flow yield, in effect, you might get by owning the stock. And I think he ranks them and weights them uh, just, you know, by the ranking and then weights each um, criteria 50-50, and you just rank them. So it's, it's a perfect way to create an inbox of names to look at. Thank God for smart people. Oh God! If it, it would, this job would be so hard horrible. if there weren't smart people to copy. Yeah, I know. Absolutely, it needs smart so, people. Um, so, I just ran this little screen. I'm going to tell listeners what it is. We get we get people writing in. It's Val at the Value Guys dot com, and then Otto, we need to get you an email. But I'll just read. Yeah, this. we'll see. We'll <laughs> just see. Um, and so here's the screen. People like to know what it is. First, it's equities, U.S. equities. Okay. Uh, market cap greater than $500 million. And you just do that in part to get some float. And, uh, you know, companies that get to that size, you hope, are paying the bills a little bit and that type of thing. Then um, I'm excluding banks. Oh, my God, banks. I hate banks. It's a commodity. They're all selling the same thing at the same price. You have to own some. Do a price-to-book screen. Buy the ones in states that are growing faster than the U.S. economy, and that's all you need to Worry about there's going to be a bunch of acquisitions there, and you know that'll be fine. Well, there's but, a lot of things going on. We have regulations oh, improving. Banks. And, I mean, and, I have a bank on my phone. I just think banks are, you know, apt to be a losing share for a long time. Physical banks. You're still, you're still upset. You got they didn't approve your loan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let, let's take that off air. Um, so this excludes banks, and then it's. Uh, it's basically enterprise value to EBITDA of 10 or less. And I think it might be as simple as that. Or no, wait a minute. Receivables, inventories, and payables, and gross plant and equipment um, less than, let's see, trailing EBITDA. So four times. Okay, that makes sense. Very simplistic. We got 15 names that came through here. 
and I picked three. Okay, here's what they are. McKesson, Motor Parts, uh, Associates of America, I think, something like that, uh, and uh, L Brands, which owns Victoria's Secret. you got to love that name. And, you know, we could go back and forth here, Otto. I'll do one. You'll no, do sure. one. No, I'm just going to do – I'll do one. I'll do one right now. Um, McKesson, ticker MCK, and uh, I think I might have done a little bit of homework on this. Let me try to – let me try to find that. Um, I like to be super poorly prepared, and I am, so that's working out. Um, McKesson came through the screen. So the nice thing about a screen is it got through the screen. I don't have to know as much as I might if I were just picking a stock randomly. We know it's got good returns on capital, and it's attractively priced. McKesson is a drug distributors. So they have giant warehouses. I've actually toured some of these things, so I'm a little biased toward these big drug distributors. I like the uh, demographics of an aging population. I like the productivity of medicine versus labor in a healthcare setting in terms of uh, lives saved per dollar spent. Medicine always wins. And I think that McKesson, you know, the industry is consolidated. They're going to get their share of this. You don't have to make a bet on which technology is going to win, which drug is going to win, or generic is going to win. They do all of it. And right now, I guess the most interesting thing to me is it's trading at five times EBITDA. So I like to look at EBITDA over enterprise value. That's 20% cash on cash return. Somehow the market seems to think there's a risk to these drug distributors because there's a risk to drug prices. And I would just say, yeah, there's a lot of intellectual property wrapped up in drugs, and so there can be a debate about drug pricing, no question. These guys are moving stuff on trucks, conveyor belts. They're handing them to people. They're scanning things. They're ensuring that stuff is properly in the right bottle. They're doing way more than passing around intellectual property or they're doing the physical work of getting stuff into its proper location. And while they are pricing based on the price of the drug, it's a very tiny sliver. Their gross margin is about, uh, I should tell you, I'm looking at it here, 5%, I think. Let me find it. I'm right, 5.7%. So they're taking a little skinny piece and ultimately they're being paid for physical logistics of the drug. And I like the valuation. Uh, I like the fact the industry's consolidated. These guys are one of the winners. There's only three or four big distributors in the country. Um, their balance sheet is in, I think, uh, decent shape. Uh, let me look here. Their, um, their risk of bankruptcy, I think, is almost nil. I'm just looking for it. Uh, I can't. Uh, help me out here, Otto. Let's see. Altman score. Okay, that's what I was looking for. The Altman score is a nice, you know, stat on bankruptcy. It's it's well over the 2.0 risk of bankruptcy, nearly four and a half. And so I'm not going to say any more about it. It's a simple name. Get it in your inbox. McKesson, ticker MCK. And then let me turn it over to Otto. I think you got a name or two. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the uh, by the way, that, I think McKesson is a, a good look. I mean, these these um, distributors have been under pressure as well as with generics, and we talk about drug pricing, and I, that's, I think it's a great leeway into my name because we've seen a lot of um, 
whether it's on Capitol Hill or in the news, um, a lot of pressure on talking about drug pricing, right? We're all going to see, yeah. you know, they, yeah, well. and, and which is leading these distributors and these generics to trading at extremely low valuations. Um, there's one small drug company. It's called Telligent, symbols T-L-G-T. This is a company uh, uh, out of New Jersey, as most generics are out there. Um, they develop uh, products which are topicals <clears throat> and injectables, um, various types of um, call it uh, topical medicines um, for uh, different types of um, uh, anti-inflammatories. Uh, and uh, so the takeaway here is, is I, this name, which has been uh, a company which has been under pressure due to price drug pricing generally, they have a load of um, products sitting in the FDA. Currently, 33 topical abbreviated new drug applications sitting in the FDA right now on file. Um, so that's a total addressable mark, about $1.5 billion. What does now, their stuff uh, do, Otto? I mean, it's mostly for um, infections. Okay. So, you know, they, they all of it is uh, delivery for reduction of, of infections. Infections. Whether it's topical or injectable. Anything related to uh, excessive drinking. Just kidding. Well, no. it is infectious. Yeah, so. Um, so, but nothing in... Uh, no, but something that, like, is, uh, you know, really serious uh, health issue, or is it more of a nuisance issues? No, I mean, can everything like psoriasis, for example? Okay. Okay. I mean, the, you know, the various infectious, infectious um, skin um, states that um, this company develops products for. And, you know, and they're not what I would call um, whiz-bang drugs. These are more common-use drugs, okay? Every, your everyday, everyday chronic type right. of treatment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's uh, valuable know. stuff. Yeah. So, you know, they just um, put in an uh, injectable plant, so they're going to be moving forward with that. Um, but what I like about this company is with these um, pending ANDAs, as they're called. Um, the company uh, is, I think, upon the forefront of delivering some nice revenue growth. If you look at 2018 estimates, um, they're right around 60 cents. Uh, stocks trading, you know, call it uh, $10 roughly. Um, so, you know, this is uh, a name that I think sits very well. In the generic, as w- which which has a significant pipeline of very um, call it uh, um, strongly utilized uh, generic products, so uh, that's what I would take a look at. Any valuation? Um, well, as I mentioned will... on an earnings basis, if you look on, I do have. Was a, I not paying attention? I'm no, sorry, no, no, I, I didn't. Did. I mean, if you, I might on a, uh, if you look at. Um, on the estimate side, yeah. um, these guys, we're, we're looking at uh, estimates going roughly on a revenue basis, you know, do, doing about $130, $140 million in 2017. The stock valuation is $490 million uh, market cap. So you're taking a, literally only four times revenue. So, four times revenue. Yeah. And it's a, you know, if you look at um, the type of margins these guys And the multiple? Deliver, yeah. Of earnings? I'm sorry. I wasn't. No, no. Four times. Four times revenue. revenue. Yeah. Revenue next year will come in roughly 
um, around 138 million, and the, 200 million in 2019. And the PE, again, I wasn't paying anything. Yeah, PE for 2018 is yeah. just under 15 times. 15. That's yeah. not too bad for no, a drug company. No, not at all. So they must be worried that the prices are going to be forced. That's exactly right. That's what's going on in this industry. Is And I talk to a lot of people. I've been to some lunches. Uh, where management that's under siege, you know, sits and explains why they're charging $100,000 per injection or whatever. But the fact is we do not have price controls on drugs in the United States. And that might be something for the Congress to take up. But in the meantime, these stocks are priced as if we do have price regulation in the United States. And so I think it's an interesting arbitrage to the extent that you think that these prices are going to be free market then these drug companies are probably cheap. If you think that there's going to be regulation around pricing, then you probably need a little caution around some of these uh, very expensive uh, drugs. Now, I don't know if these well, guys are expensive no, per not. use. These that's, are generics. I yeah, mean, so that's probably so, an advantage yeah, for this are, one. Uh, Babies out with products, the bathwater. Right. These are products which are coming off of um, you know name brand into a generic platform, which Telligent will... Uh, will um, sell so it, it, it's a it's a area which has been under significant pressure we've had everything from the myelin epipen scenario yeah that's taken place to you know various other call it drug pricing initiatives which um, have impeded on getting any type of valuation out of these uh out of these names so they continue yeah. to be under a significant amount of uh, market pressure which is why i like this intelligent name i like that it's one it's about 500 million market cap perfect could I uh, ask you to pass the, uh, whatever that was, the uh, Mark, Markham, delicious, by the way. This is a new addition to the show, thinking more about these delicious wines. Cheers, everybody. Mm. Okay, enough fun. Back to the, uh, back to a stock. I'm really, I got to get going here. I'm late for an event. We're doing the show again. I love it. But again, it's, it's um, you know that. I'm running late again. So I apologize uh, to everyone if I rush through this name too quickly. How much time are we at? Where are we at? I don't know. I don't know. Oh. I'm just getting some texts. Where are you for this oh, thing? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So, um, and listeners know I'm always running late. That's part of my unfortunate, you know, backdrop to what's going on. Um Okay, here's another name that comes out of this wonderful Joel Greenblatt screen where we're taking half we care about return on capital and half we care about cash flow yield. <clears throat> and this one is, um, you know, it's called Motor Parts of America, ticker MPAA. Um, there's a lot of things going on in the motor parts world. One, Car builds have been at record highs. It's the, one of the industries that really brought the United States out of the Great Recession is autos. They just came on like a champ and just took off higher than anyone predicted, started all the factories going, and helped General Motors you know, get free of the government involvement and all that. And, uh, but now in the last 12 months, starting to flatten out. So people are a little nervous right now, investors, about the car Area. I mean, I think you can buy Ford, for example, ticker F, for like four times earnings and things like that, and I'm certainly not recommending that by any means. But the whole space is cheap. The thing about this motor parts is they sell motor parts to anybody. So you're not making a bet on any manufacturer. And, in fact, if new car 
uh, sales dip. And if people find cars less useful because of, you know, Uber and these sorts of things, then, you know, the car fleet's going to get older and older. I think it's at record levels now, maybe 12 years, 10 years, I lose track. But higher than it's ever been and quite likely due to the fact that cars are better made than they used to be years ago. Uh, But still, it's a very old aging fleet. Car part providers are becoming more important. And because of the Internet and, you know, locating inventories in the most uh, efficient location, consolidation has taken place. And this company is part of that consolidation. I did meet management here a few years ago, and I really like the fact that they're basically going out and buying up regional guys, making their thing bigger, and taking those cost reductions and spreading them back out to the lower cost of products. So it seems to be a sustainable model as they take advantage of the economies of scale, basically tracking inventory, you know, in the cloud and, and that type of thing. And part of the, you know, value proposition for a centralized distribution facility is that Federal Express and UPS are also lowering the cost of delivering stuff to people because of the growth in e-commerce and then everyone else in e-commerce benefits from that. So the overall thesis on this is car parts through the Internet gaining share, and these guys are one of the survivors in that, and the fleet of cars getting older and cars needing more parts. Okay, uh, so market cap here is $500 million, uh, the valuation... Um, and I'm going to give a plug for a vendor of mine, Y-Charts. I'm just looking at their stuff here. It's really good, and it's not too expensive. Um, valuation on this is, here we go, um, enterprise value to EBITDA on this stock, MPAA, is 7.6. So let's flip that over, 1.1 over 7.6, and I don't have a calculator right here. But I think that's around 13 or 14 percent cash on cash return. So I like that a lot. Uh, the gross margin is 27 percent. That's very healthy. Um, EBITDA margin, cash flow margin, 17 percent. So that's not a commodity number. It means they're doing something that people are paying up for. And what I believe it likely is is the convenience of ordering and the the uh, confidence that that part is going to show up on the day that you need it. This is the type of thing that the Internet and the people that adopted it earlier are able to do. Uh, the balance sheet here is, uh, what the heck, I'm looking for it here. Why can't I learn my way around this site? Wait a minute. I'm just, I just want to see debt to capital. Return on assets is 9%. That's very good. And... Uh, Debt to capital, well, I don't even see it, but total debt to equity is uh, 10%. So that's very attractive. And that's all I have to say about it, Otto. Um, 15% cash-on-cash return, great balance sheet. It's playing into a a segment of the economy that I think is going to be safe for many, many years. That is if people keep driving, which I think, or or robots, either way, it's going to be great. MPAA, Motor Parts of America. There you go. Keeping it, yeah, that's pretty All good. All right. Yeah, you're right. I All mean, right, I'm heading out. A lot of, wait, it can't go anywhere. Um, so, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, talk with auto parts, right? You had Amazon saying yeah, they're, they're saying in, they're, right? they're coming in. Yeah, they're saying they're coming in. So, AutoZone and um, 
O'Reilly have you know been under pressure. Yeah, they have recently yeah. because of this uh, concern that Amazon is going to call it uh, push them out of the, you know push a portion of that that their business yeah. out of the market because they go well. I mean, I, I think that that's this is a this is another call it uh, out of favor um, scenario where <laughs> you, you so have well these um, auto parts companies which are considering to be at risk due to the Amazon um, Amazonization yeah, of Amazonization. Uh, American. Yeah. Is that a coin? Can we coin that? Let's do it. We, I think we should. Now you guys are coining Amazonization. Amazonization. Yes. You heard it here first, right. or even if it's third, right. it's very close right. to first. It's fine yeah. enough. Close enough. Because we didn't know the difference. I have a name I'm going to talk about next, Auto, that is direct smackly. Smackly? smackly? That's not a word. It's directly aimed at this whole topic of Amazonization, and I'm going to talk about it quite extensively. Okay. I mean, extensively. I'm going to go on and on about what's going on. Oh, yeah. that much I'm time. Look at all this. Look at all this work I've done here. I'm going to bring it out to the listeners. Well, I'm going to give you one. It's about 600 million market cap. It's a renewable energy. uh, Call it, uh, it's a technology company, which uh, is based out of California. They provide networking solutions for utilities and municipalities. Basically, it's hardware and software that the companies can use to monitor monitor the uh, um, utilization and infrastructure of power networks so for example you've probably all had or maybe have been aware of uh, various um, uh, various um, uh, utilities or electric utilities putting in these um, Wi-Fi enabled um, or electronic enabled um, uh, meters so the meters now can be read, yes, you know, remotely. So there's ability to manage these remotely as well. Yeah. So you can, you know, everything from understanding if anybody's stealing electricity from you to trying to understand what is the best allocation of your um, electrical resources to manage your grid. So and this, what about finding like problems? They can they can identify more quickly. They get the yeah, uh, like right. the crew can get to a problem more quickly with this technology, right? Or, well, yes, but it's uh, if it's really trying to give the provider an ability to manage their network better and more efficiently and effectively. So uh, with this company, they uh, provide the everything. They don't do the. Um, the boxes per se, but once it leaves the box, everything between that and the system, the network grid, um, they they put in place. So this is a company which I think has a lot of upside. Um, they, it is one of these kind of chug along value names. It kind of moves on a contract win, and if anybody has dealt with government and utilities, you know these contract wins are few and far between. It sometimes can take three years to get a contract. It's a very long sell cycle, yeah. Right. But the point is, is they already have a lot of pokers in the fire. And they just closed on a small one, but they did close on Con Ed. So they have a large one, you know, large one in place. They have many other large ones. So this is a company that is now, with the uh, expense of the, uh, of the install, has been moving to break even. Um, they should do $0.30 cents next year. 
um, with the stock right now on a multiple basis this trades high. But I look at this as a company which is, if you look at their billings, actual billings, they only trade at a little bit over one times their billings. So from the standpoint of valuation, I look at it a little differently because this is like a like a cyclical stock, basically, is that we have a lot of, I think, revenue on the come over the next uh, five years. So again, look at the stock symbol is SSNI, Silver Spring. It's about 600 million market cap. Um, this uh, company should grow revenues um, by 30 to... Call it, call it 30% on average. Wow. 20, yeah, 25, 30% they should be overall the revenues by. And what's the PE on this? It's got to well, be P, high. It's yeah, got to be too the high. The PE is high. Like I said, next year we're looking, you know, call it 30 cents in earnings okay. next year. Stock's trading at about 11. But there's a lot of, um, I think, um, opportunity here because there's only, if you look at, this is actually an industry huh. which just recently had some consolidation. Uh, in the industry, these guys are one of the last um, strongholds on a public company that is still out there that, that does this utilization of the platform. Well, here's the problem I have with some of these things, because I've always wanted to own you know, needs, not wants. Again, long-term listeners have heard me talk about that because of the security around it. And you get into this environment where these very high multiples – you know, if you take a shortcut rule of thumb to total return, it's cash flow yield plus growth. So I like the g- return to come from cash flow yield, not growth. But there's another component that we don't always talk about, which is certainty around the payments. And I think when you have something that's super secure, for example, the long-term U.S. Treasury, which is 2 that's 50 times pre-tax earnings. So I think some equity buyers forget about, yes, there's a lot of value in growth. That's how you get these expensive stocks. But there's a lot of value in security as well. And how those two things interact is, I think, the art of investing, uh, Otto. I'm just going to say that here. Well, if you show. look at, speaking of that, if you look at this company has a 45% gross margin. Okay. And if you look at locked-in cash flow. And is it stable? It's probably very yeah, this stable. Is a, once you get a contract, yeah. you're in. Yeah, okay? right. And the cash flow stream is roughly around $500 million. Yeah. Okay, this is a $600 million market cap company. So, I mean, there is a significant amount of cash flow that is pretty, I, I would say, locked-in do these contracts. I mean, do you do everything from when do the street lamps go on? You know, they turn, amazing. Okay, you know I mean, so this is all network driven um, utilization of efficiencies in the grid. So they do a lot of great things. This is, I think, a company which has um, the ability to continue to get more contracts, municipal contracts. This can go on with water, electricity, yeah. you know, wherever there's a grid network to manage these resources, Silver Spring can assist in creating a more efficient platform so Hmm. i like that that's interesting but this you know growth versus security it's an interesting uh dynamic right there okay uh this is val i have uh i think i might have had a little too much of this wine auto i feel as if my judgment might be impaired here as i as i think about giving a third name to the listener i start to feel maybe a little 
a little uh, afraid to do so because this wine is so good. I don't know again if it's clouding my judgment of the next name. I mean, should I? Should I? Should I move forward? Offer a name that could perhaps be a little bit clouded, or just say, "Hey, listen, listeners, go find the stock on your own." What do you think? I don't know. Well, I'm I mean, torn. Plus, I'm late for something, so. I think you should give the what the hell? Yeah, what the hell? What the hell? You know, I mean, what's, what's it doing? I mean, nobody's going to listen to it anyway. No one is. By this time, it's late in the show. People have turned it off long ago. One more name. One more name. It's out of the Joel Greenblatt screen, who I've never met, but it's so simple that it's great. And uh, this one is called L Brands. You ever hear of that, Otto? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know why? It's being Amazoned all over the place. Victoria's Secret, Pink, a few other, uh, you know, ladies' uh, apparel, intimate apparel, which I think is lifestyle apparel. Intimate's a word that sometimes might scare a child, but it's lifestyle apparel. And they have a big share, and they've done it with stores, as a lot of great brands have. They've done it with stores. Well, what's the problem with stores? They're expensive. They have people, landlords electricity, who knows, uh, mall events, kids running around, etc. And so what's happening is, of course, people would prefer to stay at home, order from their house, scan the product they had last time, have it show up tomorrow. I mean, it's no secret as to why people might be more interested in e-commerce than they are in driving to a mall, not finding a place to park, hanging out with screaming children, etc. No shock. And in fact, uh, the value guys have been talking about the ascension of e-commerce for 10 years. So and again, no shock. But what's happening is that the babies are getting thrown out with the bathwater. So here you have a great brand, Victoria's Secret. They're going you know, con- to own people's impressions of what a good piece of lifestyle uh, apparel is. Intimate. Intimate lifestyle apparel. And yet they're saddled with these high-cost stores. Amazon is taking advantage of it over here by sending stuff without high-cost stores. They have efficient warehouses. Again, I've had the pleasure of touring some of them. And so right now the market is freaked out that all these amazing brands are going to go out of business because of Amazon. Here's what I'm going to say to those people. Maybe you're right. I don't know. But here's here's what I think. And this is after several glasses of Markham... Merlot. Merlot, which is that great brands are going to survive. They're going to find the best channel. So you're starting to see Amazon trying to build their own private label in certain areas where people don't care. This also happened in Walmart and other low-cost distribution facilities over time. They try to get their own private label going. Your supermarket does, you know, other Amazon does, etc. What I'm going to suggest is that the brands that people trust are going to maintain their share. It's just going to move out of their stores and into an online environment. So what's going to be happening over the next 10 years, in my opinion? Victoria's Secret's going to close a bunch of stores. They're going to move toward e-commerce, as society has, and they're going to have their own store on Amazon, which is cheaper. So, again, a contrarian sometimes is what you are in value investing. I think L Brands is going to be fine. Right now is this inflection point where the market's a little bit afraid of what might happen going forward. And, you know, frankly, I'm not. 
I'm not. I don't know if that's the Merlot talking, but I just think that the trust in the product is different than the fact that their stores are expensive, and that's going to slowly become apparent not only to their management team, but also to the marketplace. Here's some of the data. So this brand, L Brands, which I don't know why they don't call it Victoria's Secret. Maybe more people would buy the stock. But it's trading at seven times EBITDA. Again, I like to flip that around. If me and Otto and our poker buddies all bought this company, we'd get, I think, nearly a 14% cash-on-cash return. Even if it falls in half, we're beating what we can get at the bank. We're beating what we can get in real estate. We're get, beating what we can get in private equity. We're beating what we can get in most alternative liquid investments. So I like that as sort of a, you know, a, a floor to what this thing could be worth. And I do think that uh, intimate apparel, lifestyle apparel is going to stay in fashion. I do think that that's uh, not changing. People are afraid of the real estate costs, and I think those are going to fade. The balance sheet is uh, in decent shape, but of course you got to look at the leases. The thing about the leases is that they're all going to change. So if they do have a lot of debt, uh, I'm not going to kid you, the shareholder equity here is negative. That's not always good, but I think it's in part because, uh, I'm just checking it right now, I think they've been buying stock and uh, you know their retained earnings are, uh, are positive, but their treasury stock number is, uh, is in their total capital stock is going down. I'm just looking for their share count number. Fast forward if this is taking too long. Hold on a second here. Share count. Uh, bear with me. I can't. Where is it? Okay. I'm not seeing it, ladies and gentlemen. But I think they've been buying stock during this period. They know the stock is cheap. I like the valuation. They're seeing a little bit of growth during this period. They have a big chunk of liquid cash to see them through any transitional periods. And uh, let me see, I got a couple other things I want to mention here. Particularly, we got to look at their Altman Z score, which is the predictor of bankruptcy. It's nearly four, which means the chance of bankruptcy is nil. Debt to equity, again, it's negative because they've turned the equity negative due to the, due to the buybacks. But that's one of the, I think, uh, opportunities you have here as an investor. There's a little bit of hair on this. There's fear about Amazon. There's fear about negative equity. I think the brand is very strong, and it's 14 times cash-on-cash cash return L brands. There you go. That's it, Otto. There you go. What do you think of that one? Well, I, I, often on the other side of these. No, I, um, boy, you know, it, you get these brands, and there's a lot of them that have been Amazon nationed, and um, you want to believe that they can carry it forward. The, the question is, consumer picking consumer direction is a tough game. However, uh, Victoria's Secrets has built a significant brand. The unfortunate thing, I'm a guy, and I don't shop at Victoria's Secrets, but. I have, what about birthdays, birthdays, yeah, but that, what does that mean? I mean, that's, uh, yeah, all right. I mean, I mean, we. I think you, a lot you, of men shoppers go 
I actually think we should maybe have uh, next time we do something like this have a, yeah, have, have a, a, woman, a woman's perspective or, or do um, like you know like you said yeah research. do some field research yeah we might have to go right. in there right I mean, go I in there or maybe pull on the street you know with some product right or maybe in a fitting right room, right it, would this what have you would yeah. this be a product you would endorse this is a PG show right. though so we can't, can't. say. Well, we could ask a question. Yeah. We, just, we could just leave it at a, yeah. We could just question. question without any props. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, again, it's uh, it, it's a great, I think, stock pick. I mean, you you got you if you're a value person, you better be making some bets in retail right now, thinking that there's not every one of these concepts are going to go bust, right? Yeah. Which is it's typical Wall Street mentality. When you have a, a, a behemoth like it happened with Walmart, right? We've seen yeah. it when Walmart came around, yeah. and uh, we're seeing it now with Amazon. That oh no, they just can't make it. And I, I would tell you, I mean, well, O'Reilly, I, all these names are being hurt by the all of them. Fear yeah, of right. Amazon, no, like nobody's going to own a store anymore. You know, so I mean. So with that, I mean, I would tell you that there is going to be some great opportunity in retail. It's just you have to be. You know, cognizant of brand and believe that there is an opportunity, like you said, to shift it over. And not to mention, what what um, type of value can you unlock by moving out of some of these stores and um, doing a online presence? Yeah, why not let Amazon handle it? They become your landlord. Your store is uh, in the cloud, and you're still earning your share. Well, I they mean, have an online store, yeah, though, right? They, Amazon yeah, has an online yeah, yeah, store. They do have that, yeah, and yeah. it's growing. But again, I think the market's misperceiving what the threat of Amazon is versus the help that Amazon is providing by giving you cheaper real estate than your landlord does. Well, know? I'm going to give you a plug because Me? I, yeah, oh. because I've known you for a long time, but you're yes. one of the first people to come. And this is pre the tech crash that talked on Amazon long time ago. Yeah, long time ago. Yeah. I mean, so you were at the forefront. I mean, it was, I wish I would have, I wish I would have, I wish I would have listened to you. I thought you did. Well, I, I did. No. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks for that stock pick, Dale. That's what I remember. No, you didn't buy it. Okay, what happened? All right. Well, that's that. Okay, we want to close out the show here with some of our most exciting commentary about GDP and the economy. That People love that. Kids love that. Really? Ki- yeah, oh, yeah, kids love I GDP. To, I go to parties, kids' parties a lot. Yeah. You know, there's your clowns and your jugglers. No. I'm Mr. Economy. Right. And they <laughs> love it. I'm like, hey, kids. Boy, you're GDP. GDP. Hey, yeah, right. They want to know. Absolutely. They want to okay. know consumer price so index. They love it. They, they love, love it. all that talk. And the way I like to do it is with quantitative models. They love that. They eat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, kid, here's an ice cream, and here's a quantitative model. Absolutely. So, and a PowerPoint. Listeners know there used to be a publication called National Economic Trends from the Federal Reserve of St. Louis. I've been subscribing to this since there was a post office, and it's a wonderful overview of the economy. Finally, it's now available in online form at the St. Louis Federal Reserve. Just Google up National Economic Trends, and it's a nice overview. So let me just walk through this, but with my mouse. So, just getting used to this. GDP, where is it? Not great. Point and a half, one and a half percent. It got up to 2% or 3% in the fourth quarter. Who knows? I happen to believe that we're on a good path here with GDP, but of course, none of the data shows that. 
and we're on a little bit of a soft trend here, one and a half percent. My thesis is that government spending's been under a lot of pressure, and we're finally breaking through old highs uh, in city revenues and such. So I think government spending's going to kick into GDP, and we're going to see some better numbers moving towards that three, four percent, hopefully with some spikes in that zone. But right now, most recent one and a half. Uh, inflation, we've got no problem. It's down to flat. I think that's a lot of energy pricing in there. So it'll probably pop back up over the next few quarters. Industrial production, we're seeing some really nice spikes in the last few quarters, higher than we've seen in you know quite a number of years. And I think that in part that's because of lower fuel prices. It's because China is collapsing and we're taking back some share there, but I like that. Interest rates in check. Um, There is some talk about the Fed raising rates, but again, they can't do everything. The supply of money is so great. Corporations, baby boomers, ultimately interest rates are supply and demand, and there's a lot of supply. I think interest rates are going to stay low for a long time. That's bad for savers, but could be good for investors with a good idea because financing rates are going to stay low. Unemployment very low. That's good. Um, real GDP, as I just said, one and a half percent. Industrial production is moving through old levels. The economy is looking pretty good. Just turned positive um, year over year in the last couple of months, so that's positive. I could go on and on, Otto. Uh, inventories are down. That's good for future GDP. And uh, anyway, what else here? I don't know if I have a favorite stat. Um, who doesn't have a favorite stat? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... There's so many. There's so many to choose from. So many. Now, some of these charts... My favorite one is that inventories are in check. So that's always building in future GDP growth when you keep inventories in check. And that's been going on for a year. Um, inventory to sales ratio is coming down. Again, you got to love that one. If you've been drinking, of course, it's more... It's more colorful. More. So anyway, I, I'm not going to go on with this. But here's my backdrop, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, is that the economy looks pretty good. That's why the stock market is at highs. And I think that to the extent that the Republicans can deliver tax declines or get corporate America to re, uh, you know, resubmit their overseas cash into the U.S. with some type of ta- tax holiday, that would be wonderful for the economy. And I think uh, the market's not cheap. But remember, interest rates are low. You've got to take, take a look at the inverse of the 10-year yield at 2%, 2.5%. So equivalent would be 40 to 50 times earnings for something that secure. And so we've never had rates that low. That's why the market's expensive. But I am still finding stocks that I like auto. And I think uh, investors can feel comfortable that there are some good bargains out there, and we, we've, you know, we've delivered a few of those here today. We're trying, you know, we're trying. But you know, I mean, what's interesting is that I think one of the things inv- investors really need to hone in on, because you know, you have a lot of talk politically on what's going on on Capitol Hill, and it's been a mess. And I hate listening to it. Oh, don't it's you? horrible! It's oh. every day. Oh my. Very interesting commentary from uh, Jamie Dimon. I don't know if you heard on his uh, earnings report last week, but he talked about how much pent-up economic activity is sitting in the hands of Capitol Hill, which is 
in my mind, you know, just the infrastructure rebuild, for example. everything. I mean, whether it's taxes, whether it's, you know, it, 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 there's just Healthcare, so much yeah. that can be assist a regulatory improvement, you know, to move things along for businesses. And it's just been so slow. It's frustrating. It's, it? it's, and so the market, and this is what's interesting. This has probably been one of the most hated bull markets that we've had in a long time, right? I mean, because nobody wants to believe the economy is situated. But the, here's the problem is that we are running a lot of this on the hope that some of these programs are going to, whether it's, you know, 15% corporate tax rate, 20% corporate tax rate, whatever you want to say, is going to infuse some growth into the economy. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of caught in this cross trend here where who knows how it goes, but, you know, the market continues to, I think, bite off that this is going to come. And, this will be a really interesting dynamic. Does the market know more than us? And it's telling us that these are going to come together. We're going to get tax reform. We're going to get health care reform. We're going to get regulatory reform. We're going to get a better economy than we all expect. Because there is more bearish tones right now, even given the market movement. People are... They just can't believe the market's well, new going. highs always breed the belief that we're about to have a crash. Right, always. Right, it's always right. the case. And like you, you called out Barron's. Barron's is highlighting that we're at the you know, at the doorstep of a correction. I just read all yeah. that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's... Uh, but, you know, the thing that keeps the market, I think, a little bit from falling is that um, there's a lot of cash that is chasing the best possible opportunity. So I think while multiples are high, it's more coming from a supply and demand point of view, in my opinion, than euphoria. And, uh, and some of the bones of a good economic backdrop, low interest rates, low energy prices, uh, you know, some discipline around labor in part because the Chinese labor advantage is over. Overseas advantages in labor are a little bit over now. So the United States, in my opinion, and people may not appreciate this, we are the largest energy producer in the world. We've got the lowest price of energy for each citizen in their gas, in their heat, in the world. And we've got the best transportation system in the world. So, you know, we're a big nation, but we're almost one of the most nimble nations in the world. It's pretty impressive. Now, I'm biased. I live here. But the United States is really in a position to deliver uh, on the promise of improving standards of living, I think. And it's sitting right in front of us. And right now, there's stocks that will benefit from those changes. And some of them are cheap, and we that's our mission, Otto. Find those names, help our listeners live a better future. Isn't that Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Is this the end of our show? This now? is it. I mean, the only thing, too, I want to ask you is, because this has been yeah. one of the other topics for investors Uh-oh. to consider, okay. U.S. versus international, right? I mean, there's a, yeah, lot, there's of, a lot. lot of push that the yeah. U.S. market is way overpriced. Yeah. And the value is in international. Really? How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, all I would say is when you have overpricing, that just means excess demand. And then I would push back and say, maybe it's not excess demand. Maybe it's the right amount of demand because people want to come to America. Why? 
There's more opportunity. If you're an individual, you have more opportunity here than most places in the world. I met a guy yesterday who said he's getting married in 30 days and then went on to tell me he's never met his fiance, his family arranged the marriage. So I think there's a lot of potential improvement in people's lives and a lot of that is available in America. And so there's excess demand to be in America and as a result, I think you know, certainly more demand for our um, government bonds. That's why we have lower, you know, yields in other places. And I think that um, that's in part why things appear overvalued. But no, it doesn't bother me. And also, I spend my money in dollars. So if I have some other currency going up or down, I don't know how much that helps me, unless I want to trade a lot. And, you know, as we know, there's a lot of academic research that suggests that trading and timing things is, doesn't always... Well, I think we've pretty much bludgeoned to death the listeners out there over this last... You know, how That's long? been our goal. Yeah, certainly. right. To, to make it so incredibly just difficult to get through that <laughs> you, at the end of the day, go, how is it? It's hard for me to get through. Yeah, how I mean, is it I mean, I've been, that two people... I'm getting texts every two minutes can like, where get, the heck are I you? Know. I mean, you know, whatever. So, well, here's... I just want to say, I got... I want, you can close out the show, but I want to say a couple of quick things. First, if there's any chance you've enjoyed this show, which I'm going to guess is low, or you've managed to listen to this <laughs> long, there's a couple of ways to get our show. One is go to iTunes. Again, people know this. Go to iTunes. Type in The Value Guys. We'll pop up. You can subscribe on our podcast, all that. And the other way is just to get your favorite newsreader. We were just doing this earlier, like Feedly or some other thing. And our... RSS feed is directly readable into, who knows, dozens of devices. It's www.thevalueguys.com slash thevalueguys.xml. You punch that in and the show comes up. So I encourage listeners wow. to go do that. Also, www.thevalueguys.com, which I have a gentleman updating that, but he's, he's not answering my calls, so I... I think we're a little out of date, but thanks for listening in, everybody. And Thank you. We'll see yeah, you another right. time. Anything else? That's it. I'm ready to roll. Let's go.